0: Okay, so I was having a conversation a few weeks ago. I was in the kitchen, and I think it was in between services, and a couple of the guys were there. Uh, Brendan Hodick. Is he here, or is he still in the back? Oh, there he is. Hi, So you can verify that, that, that uh, it's actually Brendan and, and Chris Ruggiero, but it was Brendan who asked the question. And, and he said to be Pastor, he said, of all the many decades that you've lived through, the many decades... Which, which, which was the best, in my opinion? Which of the... You think he's trying to tell me something? All right. But that was way more subtle than Brother Jimmy Malone. Malloy, rather. Uh, love you, Jimmy. You're a great guy. So Jimmy and I are in the lobby, right? And we're arguing about who's going to take out the garbage. And uh, I said, I got this, Jimmy. He said, no, Pastor, I got this. He says, after all, you've been doing it for 90 years. That would make me 120. Jimmy, I'm not that old. I may look old, but no, I'm not that old. It's just not a nice thing. You know what I mean. You've been doing this from the beginning. I said, You mean Genesis? <laughs> I Actually, it's the beginning of when we started the church. So, I, again, I'm not that old. Not from Genesis. But anyway. I'll answer the question, okay? What was the, what was the best decade? You know, without a doubt, for me, being a baby boomer, living in South Brooklyn in the 1950s was absolutely awesome. Somebody's shaking your head. So, It, it was absolutely awesome. Uh, we didn't have video games. We didn't have Nintendo. We didn't have Xbox. We didn't have computers. But our life was full. I mean, we, 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 had, we had so much joy, had so much fun uh, in the 50s. We, we had what was called back in the day seasons. And, and what, what it was, was that whatever was trending at that particular time was a season. And all the kids in the neighborhood was, was, were playing the same thing, whether it was skates or marbles or, or yo-yos or tops or, or stickball, whatever it was, we all did it together. And because, because I lived in Brooklyn, I mean, especially, it'd be like, it's like there was tons and tons of kids, Living on, on our block be, between one block and another, and uh, that that meant there was always something to do and always somebody to play with. We we, we were creative too. Uh, we we made our own scooters. I, I got a picture of a scooter. Well, all you needed was a two by four. Uh, we would pull apart a metal skate. We would nail front to back on a on a two by four, and then slap a wooden box on it, and it's usually fruit boxes. We'd paint them and we'd race them down the street. It was awesome, really was. But for me, to be honest with you, my favorite season was carpet gun season. Now it's not the kind of carpeting that we're familiar with. It was actually uh, linoleum, and and people had linoleum in their kitchen, you know, and they replaced it quite often because it was a, you know, it it, it wasn't a great you know product, but but it was a stiff you know, product that when it was cut into little squares, uh, it made an awesome projectile. You you know what I'm talking about? All you needed, if you put put up the next picture, all you needed was a piece of wood, a rubber band, and a wooden, you know, uh, clothespin. And you made yourself a weapon. See the one on the bottom? That's the one I used to make. And, And you know what? It is a miracle. We used to fight one block against another. It was a miracle nobody ever lost an eye that's when I came to realize that there's a there's a big difference between playing games and introducing a weapon into that scenario. And, and that's the reason why I titled today's message, because weapons are a big deal. I mean, all of the conversation that's taking place over the last several weeks about ballistic missiles and nuclear weapons and I mean, it's concerning to everybody, isn't it? Because weapons are a big deal. They've always been a big deal for nations and kingdoms. And you know what? In the war between light and darkness, good and evil, weapons are a big deal. And the spiritual weapons that God's provided for us are a big deal. They're unconventional, but they're mighty through God. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that our struggle, our warfare that's taking place is not merely with flesh and blood solely, but with wicked spirits, with, with evil forces, unseen forces in high places that are able to manipulate whole cultures and nations. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know, we're, we're so honored that you're here this morning and we want you to be blessed. And one of the ways that you can be blessed is by discovering that there is a Savior who loves you, who died for you so that you would have eternal life. Now, when we talk about this war between light and darkness, good and evil, I know that might sound a little strange to you. But, I mean, just think about the wickedness that is in the world. And it's not hard to see that we live in a fallen world, and there's a reason for it. But what I want you to also know is that in the Gospels, Jesus confronted demons, and he expelled them. Jesus also defeated the, the arch enemy of the human race, Satan. And, and that's only a small part of the gospel, but, but it is a part of the gospel that Jesus is and always will be victorious over all the powers of darkness. So I want you to see the apostle Paul said, weapons are a big deal, okay? And, and I'm kind of paraphrasing him, but, but look at this portion of scripture with me from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. As Paul frames the importance of spiritual weapons, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We do wage war, but not as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We have different weapons. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the battle that we wage or, or, or the battle that is raging is taking place. There are issues of the heart and issues of the mind. And what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand is that is that we are more than capable of taking fearful thoughts. Imaginary thoughts of Oppression and depression and discouragement and bring them into the captivity of of the obedience of the mind of Christ. Because in our struggle, the good news is, is that Jesus Christ is victorious. I want you to think about this for a minute. Way before the battle was, was raging in the Garden of Gethsemane and all that followed over the next period of 36 hours, The war had already begun. Satan takes out one of the 12. He fills the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. He's got a target now, a bullseye on Peter. And Jesus warns Peter of what's taking place. And Jesus says, Peter, Satan has desired to grind you into powder. Okay? But Peter, instead of taking heed to the warning and and really listening to what Jesus says, he basically says to Jesus, I I got this, Jesus. Though everybody else will forsake you, yet I'm not going to be the one, I'm going to, I'll die for you, Jesus. And what is Peter expressing? He's expressing his own self-confidence in his own ability and his own strength to succeed against what's coming down the pike. And, And you know what? It was a painful lesson for Peter to learn. But you know what? He did learn a lesson for years later. Peter would warn others, and, including us. And this is what he says. He says in verse, 1 Peter 5.8, he says, be vigilant, which means to be watchful, to be alert, be, be on your guard at all times. Because your adversary, your, your enemy, your antagonist, the devil, walks about like a roaming lion, seeking whom he may devour. How, how, how dangerous, right, would be a uh, a roaming lion or, or a roaring lion as well, right? Peter's not trying to scare us. He's trying to give us a heads up so that we would be alert and not make the same mistake that he made. He goes on to say this. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith. That word faith is so crucially important right now for us to understand because faith is one of the unconventional weapons that God has provided for the child of God. The Bible says that, that faith is a gift that comes from God. Not all men have faith. And so if you have faith, it is a gift that's been Now, the apostle John and the apostle Peter were before fall. John was really near the priest where, where, where Peter denies that he ever even knew Jesus. When he's warming his, his hands by the fire, John, John was near. And John, John witnessed Peter's terrible fall. But John also witnessed Peter's comeback. Because with, with the, the, the warning that Peter, the enemy wants to grind you into powder, came a promise. And that promise was this. And remember what I said about faith. It's so crucially important. Jesus said, when you fail and when you, when you fall, and you will, just as he predicted Nevertheless, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And so John witnessed, and, and when I, I, I believe that, that probably, it's, this is my opinion, I believe that inspired John to write this in 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory that overcomes the world, and we know who is in the world. He says, even our faith. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Faith is of first importance, and it's a big deal. It's an unconventional weapon. But what I want you to know about all of God's unconventional weapons, number one, is that they all operate or energize because of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But in addition to that, all of God's weapons are seemingly foolish and seemingly weak. Seemingly foolish and seemingly weak, and they're done so on purpose, so that the power may be clearly seen. It belongs to God and not of men. Let me give you a couple examples. Right, what, what 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 kind of usefulness would a slingshot and a stone be in the hands of a boy compared to a nine and a half foot warrior whose spirit weighs probably between ten and twelve pounds? But it was a stone that brought Goliath down because. It was faith that propelled it. What, what kind of strategy is is Moses stretching out his rod over against the Red Sea as a, as a means of escaping an advancing army? And yet when the waters rolled back and became a wall so that the children of Israel could cross on dry ground, it must have seemed like a dream to the children of Israel. But when those walls of water came crashing down, destroying the horse and the rider it must have seemed like a nightmare to the Egyptians. Seemingly foolish, but powerful, made mighty through God. What kind of strategy is walking around a walled city, a fortified city, walls 20 feet thick, walking around it seven consecutive days, and on the last go around, everybody shouts, and those walls come crumbling down. They appear to be weak and foolish, but nevertheless, they are made mighty through God. You know, the amazing truth is that God has not left us powerless. He's not left us defenseless against against enemies that would seek to destroy us, like Peter says, a, a, a roving lion seeking whom he may devour. Never make the mistake of ignoring the existence of demonic or evil forces that are in this world, you know, but don't be afraid of them either. Never be terrified by your adversary. But neither make the mistake that, that Peter made by being self-confident that he was sufficient to stand against the powers of darkness. You know, one of Satan's greatest deceptions was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. But the good news is, is that Jesus Christ has beaten the enemy. And what we need, beloved, is a, a, a biblical understanding that produces in us both wisdom and boldness, that we would have both wisdom and boldness. So you say to me, wait a minute, t- t- time out, pastor. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an apostle. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm not really sure that this message is relevant for me. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. N- number one, have, have you ever wrestled with an irrational fear? A fear that you just you you physically felt it come it would come over you it kept you up at night it's all that you can think about to the point of distraction, I mean and it lasted for days and days and it's an irrational fear there is a tormenting fear that goes way beyond what is reasonable. Have you ever experienced a, a struggle with a heaviness? You know, a, a, an apparent oppression. And, and, and if somebody asks you, why do you feel so so down? And you can't answer the, the, the question as to why. Because there's no tangible reason why you should be so discouraged or so despondent. Listen, there's a, there's a reason why the psalmist writes in two different psalms, why so downcast, O my soul? He asks himself the question to get in touch with what's going on in his own life. Why are you so disquiet? Why there's such a disturbance in your heart? You see, one of the things about this oppression that I'm talking about, it, it, it comes and we may not understand it, but it leaves us with a sense of confusion and a lack of clarity. What's the purpose of it? It's to take us out. There are times when we go through seasons of unrelenting temptation. When something that, that we've had victory over years and years ago, and then suddenly we just find ourselves in this period of, of days and even weeks where we're just constantly being bombarded with this temptation of something that maybe had a hold on us years ago and it's coming out of nowhere. Or what about, what about sometimes when, when, when these thoughts of things that we've done in the past Things that, that, that we now feel ashamed of even though we've been forgiven years ago and, and, it, and it just comes out of nowhere and, and we begin to wrestle with the sense of, of unworthiness or, or, or shame. I'm especially gonna speak on that subject next week. And if you know anybody who is struggling with, with a lack of self-worth or, or just a sense of they can't forgive themselves or, or just struggling with guilt and condemnation, please come Next week, but listen, all these attacks are meant to take us out there's a scene in the Lord of the Rings. You might remember it from the fellowship of the of the, of the Rings or something like that. Uh, I think it was the first one where they enter into this cave area, and uh, all of these wild looking monsters are, 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 are you know they 're battling them and Mr Frodo Mr. Frodo is cornered by this real big monster. And uh, he receives a blow, and everybody sees it, and it's like, oh no, you know, he, he's the one guy that we wanted to protect, and, and, and he's, he's out for the count, you know, lights out, bye bye, Mr. Frodo. But to everyone's surprise, he survives the attack. And he survives the attack because he's wearing an impenetrable garment. Beloved, I want to tell you that God has provided for us an impenetrable garment. And I'm going to tell you about that in a few minutes from now. But first I want to, I want to just hit on some of the more obvious weapons that are, that are uh, mighty through God so that we can pull down these imaginations and these pretensions that set themselves against the purposes of God and against us. So there's faith. Faith is of first importance. Secondly, the word of God. The apostle Paul calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. And you know, a sword is an offensive weapon. And Jesus is seen in the book of Revelation as having a sword proceeding out of his mouth. Now that's not some grotesque looking picture. It's symbolic of the word of God coming forth out of Jesus. And you know, for the first time in human history, when Jesus shows up, Jesus, a man, Fully God, fully man, a human nature, he best Satan for the first time in human history. And how does he do that? He quotes three times in the wilderness, temptation. He quotes three times from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, Satan, it is written, leaving us an example, that when we are cornered and we are oppressed by the enemy, that we are to bring the word of God to bear the sword of the spirit. He said, Satan, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You know how the Holy Spirit summed up that conflict? It says, and Satan fled from Jesus, beaten. But Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Instead of being depleted after 40 day fast and 40 day of temptation, Jesus has greater strength than when he first went into the wilderness. And that's what the word of God can do for you and me, when we allow the word of God to go down deep into our heart, because we put the time in to know and to study his word, the Holy Spirit can raise that up in us when we find ourselves in the midst of some cornered trial of the adversary trying to destroy our lives. He, he, the Holy Spirit will use it to defend us and to defeat the adversary sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, one of the best things that you can do for yourself and your family and your church is to be skillful in the art of knowing and applying the word of God in every circumstance and situation. Did you know that this is not an option for us in the war? Because we're all all engaged. If you're a believer, you're engaged in in this battle that's taking place for souls, for your soul and for the souls of others as well. And, and the admonition in scripture is not take it or leave it. It's not a choice. It's be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, not your self-will, not your strength, but, but be strong in the Lord. And when we acknowledge our own weakness, that's when the power of Christ can rest Upon us, and so the word says, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. I, I love this one particular radio personality who, who, who says this about himself. He says that he is talent on loan from God. And I love the way he says that. It must drive his detractors up the wall when he says that. Because not only is he giving God the glory, but he's also declaring that what he has, he has from God. And isn't that a truth? That everything that we have comes from God. The gifts that God has given to us come from him. Our talents all come from him. The wisdom that we have, the weapons that God has, has bestowed upon us are all made mighty through God. Another weapon, Jesus has given us his name. His delegated authority comes to us through the power of his name. In his name, we're to cast out devils. And in his name, lay hands on the sick that they should recover. And in his name, there's even the potential of raising the dead. There's such power in the name of Jesus. Demons tremble at the mention of his name. I have personally over 40 years seen the enemy shut down because of the authority that is found in the name of Jesus. When we say thus far and no further, Jesus, Another weapon that God's given to us is the blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12, 11 says, those who were being harassed and tempted and oppressed by the enemy, it says they, were, they overcame by the blood of the lamb. By the blood of the lamb. When we begin to understand and recognize and apply all that the blood of Jesus Christ has, has provided for us, that we have forgiveness of sins through his blood. That God has made peace through the blood of his cross. That we have this peace with God that is that is inexplicable. That we have not only the forgiveness of sins and peace, but our conscience has been made clear and clean by the blood of Jesus. That has set us free from our sins in his own blood. Revelation 1, five Unto him who loved us. There's so much that we have. You know what? We could spend an entire message on each of these weapons, but... I just want to, you know, just, just sum up that so far. So it's faith, the word of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. These are all mighty weapons that are to battle things like oppression, temptation, discouragement, condemnation, guilt. These are the things that God's provided for us that we might be victorious. And the scripture says that we're to fight the good fight of what? Of faith. Now, I want to just turn in particular, as I mentioned a moment ago, Something like Mr. Frodo's impenetrable garment, that God has given to us a garment. And Isaiah 61 identifies it as the garment of praise. He's given to us the garment of praise that expels a spirit of of heaviness. And when we are clothed with this praise, when we find ourselves in the midst of a battle, and we begin to, just as the scripture so poignantly declares, that there is power when we begin to praise him. You know, there's a guy by the name of uh, Frederick Nietzsche. Excuse me. He was a 19th century philosopher. He was a self-proclaimed immoralist. He was the son of a Lutheran minister, but he shook up the Judeo-Christian world when he said God is dead. But this this is also what he said. He says, I cannot believe in a God he wants to be praised all the time. His thoughts about God are all too human, as though God was so insecure and needed to be propped up by creation. The fact of the matter is, is, that, is that we can neither add to or take away from the essence of God's great worth and his glory. God is glorious always. And uh, our praise adds nothing to God. It's not to edify him, it's to edify us. God ordained praise that we might have an edge against our adversary. Because the, 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 the wonderful thing about praise is that it's not only a, a, a defensive weapon, it's also an offensive weapon. And it's faith that makes praise effectual. I want you to think about this. On the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. Behold, your king comes riding upon a donkey, right? That, that scripture that was all, the disciples are all excited. They're, they're proclaiming Jesus as king. They're shouting Hosanna and praises as they held Jesus their king. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, What do they do? They say, Jesus, Jesus," they're so bent out of shape because of what's going on. They say, Jesus, tell your disciples to be silent. And I love what Jesus said. He said, if days should hold their peace on this day, the very rocks would cry out. But then he does this. He quotes from Psalm chapter 8. It says, have you never read what David said? And then he quotes this verse, but he just takes one word out, the word strength, And he inserts the word praise. So listen to it in Matthew 21, 16. From the lips of children and infants, God has ordained praise to silence and to stop the enemy. Praise is something that God has designed for our benefit so that against our adversary, we can silence and stop the enemy. And there's examples of this. Not only in many of the Psalms that talk about the significance of praise, but in the New Testament, a couple of months ago, I think it was that Pastor Doug spoke about Acts chapter 16. And if you don't know the story, it's where Paul and Silas expel a demon from this slave girl who was acting like an ATM machine for her owners. And when the demon was departed, their hope of making money was gone as well. And so they complain and and, and use a false accusation against them to the magistrates. The magistrates have them stripped and beaten and thrown into prison. And in the midnight hour, Paul and Silas are there and and they say to God, God, you really let us down. You, You didn't have our back. Is this the way you treat your children? No, of course not. They didn't say that at all. They began to sing praises and they began to worship God in the midst of the prison and all the prisoners in the, in the prison heard them praising God and suddenly there was an earthquake and all the prison gates, all the cell doors sprang open and all, miraculously all their chains fell off as well. And when the jailer discovered what was going on, he was about ready to fall on his sword because he failed to keep his charge and Paul cries out and says, do not do it yourself any harm, we're all safely here. When he calls for a light, he comes running and he falls before Paul and Silas. And he says, sir, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says to them, what I would say to anyone here today who is not yet saved. So simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved in your family. Paul and Silas were taken out of prison that night. The jailer ministered to their wounds and, and fed them. And Paul and Silas preached the gospel to them. And that night, the whole family, the whole household was baptized. And they really became the first members of the Philippian church. Awesome things can happen when we praise Him. Instead of griping and complaining or murmuring when we find ourselves in straits. Troubled times, and we offer praise. There's an old song that we used to sing some years ago, and and it describes the importance of praise perfectly. Listen to this when you're up against a struggle that has shattered all your dreams, and your hope is cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. What, 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 am I, what am I to do? Praise. Praise him. For he can work through those who praise him. Praise. For our God inhabits praise. For the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you they draw powerless behind you when you praise. It's power, in praise. But you see the significance of one word there, inhabits. It means God is enthroned, God dwells, God lives in the praises of his people, which means that when God shows up in the midst of our circumstances, no matter how bad it is, and we're praising him, darkness flees away. Darkness cannot stand in God's presence. You know what, for the, for the purpose of just kind of going through this quickly, let me just give you a reference. You can read this on your own, Second Chronicles chapter 20, great great chapter so exciting I'd love to see a movie made uh, out of this King Jehoshaphat is surrounded in Jerusalem by three nations that have come and and they're an innumerable company of of people that have come to destroy Jerusalem And, and Jehoshaphat doesn't know what to do except to pray and they pray as the people that gather together and he says Lord we don't have any might against such a force as this but our eyes are on you Our eyes are on you. And then there's a prophetic word or a word of knowledge that's released from one of the young men. And it says, you don't have to fight in this battle for the battle is the Lord's. And so Jehoshaphat wisely does this. He doesn't send the army out to meet them. He sends the singers and the praises to declare the splendor of the Lord. And as they go forth, declaring the splendor and the beauty and the majesty of the Lord our God, there's a, a discombobulation that takes place among the enemies as they begin to fight amongst themselves until the point that there's not one left standing. All of them are dead men. To say this, to, to, uh, imagine this, it took them three day, three days to carry away all of the spoil, all of the booty that was left behind because there was all dead men. What amazing things can happen when we will just, instead of complain, instead of gripe, begin to praise him. Now, for the few remaining minutes that I have with you today, I just want to tell you about the weakest of all God's weapons and the most foolish of all God's weapons. And again, remember what I said earlier, God purposely chooses the weakness and the foolishness to confound the wisdom of the wise you know what Paul says logically? If God were weak, then his weakness would be stronger than the might of men. If God were foolish, then his foolishness would still be wiser than men. But to the elites, even today, in higher education and higher learning, to, to, to the intellectuals, they look at this as a weapon and they say, This is this is this is absurd. This is ludicrous. This is this is. Bordering on offensiveness. And you know what? It is offensive. Purposely offensive. Because God offends the mind to reveal what's in the heart. Listen to what Paul said of this weapon. He said, for the cross, the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Elsewhere, he says, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Think about this. Messiah crucified is, a, is an oxymoron. It's a, an enigma. Messiah crucified, two words that don't make sense when you use them in the same sentence. Messiah is the promised king, the, 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 the ruling warrior who comes to set free the human race. But Messiah crucified doesn't make any sense. This was hidden from previous generations, but is now being revealed and made known in the preaching of the gospel. Stone of stumbling. To the Jews, a rock of offense to the Greeks. But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. Listen, even angels are confounded by the inscrutability of the cross. Crucifixion was reserved for the dregs of society. But here we don't have the dreg of society being crucified. We have a man who is worth all of the human race and the perfect man, Christ Jesus. But he's crucified in weakness. That's what the scripture says. Yet it was his surrendered weakness that destroyed the reign of death and ushered into existence a new quality of life called eternal life where it's endless and it's indestructible. This is weakness turned upside down. Let me say it again. This is weakness turned upside down. Heaven's champion prevails over every demonic force, over death, over sin, over the grave, You know what? It may be difficult for us to imagine what it was like in the first century, but it was shocking. Those that heard this message for the first time, that those that preached that Jesus was the Son of God co-equal with God the Father and that he was now crucified as a felon. Hard to wrap their minds around. But this is the gospel and salvation is a really big deal. And you know what? The only way that any one of us, even in this day of age, can become believers is by an act of of a miracle by the Holy Spirit who opens up a heart to believe. And we become transformed. And over time are being conformed to the image of God's Son. You know, all of the all of the superheroes of of, of the imaginary superheroes all, all have some superpower. You know, whether it's Spider-Man or Superman or... I watched the trailer this last week. Even Batman has asked the question, what's your superpower? He says, I'm rich. Well, Jesus was rich, but for our sake, he became poor. Through his voluntary weakness, Jesus sets us free. Because of his love for his father... He restrained his infinite power because of his love for sinners, Jesus set aside his eternal power. You know what? He could have have whispered from the cross and the world would have been set on fire. He could have spoken a word and mountains would have melted and the very heavens could have collapsed. But he restrained his power because his power was manifested in weakness. So here we are. Let's, let's, let's bring this down to where we live. We embrace weakness are our, our own acknowledgement that apart from Christ, we can't do anything, that we're dependent upon him. And when we acknowledge our weakness, the power of Christ rests upon us. That's, that's the lesson the apostle Paul learned. When we offer praise, it is both an act of worship then it's an act of combat. As a defensive weapon, it's the garment of praise. As an offensive weapon, it stops and it silences the enemy. All of these weapons together were to use to fight the good fight of faith. You know what it is? It is a submission to the sovereignty of God, where we say, God, we trust in you and what you've provided for us to be able to succeed to fight the good fight of faith. For some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, which was the, the elite weapons of the day, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. We trust in our God. Think about that. Be strong in the Lord. This is how you do it. This is how it is possible for you and I, ordinary people, to become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, faith, the word, his name, the blood, and praise. If you're here this morning, I'm gonna close in prayer at this time, but if you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Christ, and you'd like to do that today, I'd like to lead you in a in a prayer. It's not it's not the prayer that saves, it's Jesus who saves, and it's your heart that 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 should be opened and receive him. So I want to also pray for us You you might be here this morning, you might be going through that period of temptation or that period of of discouragement or heaviness or oppression. I want to pray that that breaks over you today. But I also want to just give someone an opportunity, if you're here today, let's just pray. Father, we just ask even now that uh, if there's anyone here, Holy Spirit, would you open up their heart to Trust in Christ, maybe for the very first time. And what you need to do is to start a conversation with Jesus that goes something like this. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe that you died for me. And that in Jesus, my sins are forgiven, that you are the substitute that took my place. I receive you as my Savior. And just as Paul said to the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you will be saved and your family. So I encourage you to do that. And Father, I just lift up prayer for anyone right now that is struggling and going through an oppression, a, a depression, a situation right now of temptation, all the things that I mentioned today, I pray, Lord God, that they will learn how to use the Word of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, praise, and the faith that you've given and imparted to us, that we fight the good fight of faith. Amen.